begin this morning telling you just uh, a little bit of, uh, tell you a story. Latin American theologian uh, Rene Padilla remembers vividly one of his early encounters with John Stott. Some of you may be familiar with John Stott, a, a preacher, a writer, a great man of God. And, and he recounts this, this encounter that he had with John on the previous night when we, had, when we had arrived in Argentina in the middle of heavy rain. The street was muddy. And as a result, by the time we got to the room that had been assigned to us, our shoes, as you can imagine, they were covered with mud. And in the morning, Renee said, as I woke up, I, I heard the sound of a, of a brush. John was busy brushing my shoes. John, I exclaimed, full of surprise, what are you doing? My dear Renee, he responded, Jesus taught us to wash each other's feet. You do not need me to wash your feet, but I can brush your shoes. The greatest example of service that we witness really in Scripture and really throughout all of human history, it took place around a, a dinner table. And it involved a very ordinary, less than special tower. The title of today's message is just simply called Picking Up the Tower. I want to look at John chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, turn there. John 13, beginning at verse 1. Some of you may be familiar with the story Let's revisit this text. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, speaking of Jesus, he wrapped a towel around his waist and he poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand. Now what I am doing is someday, Peter, you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and, and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. And that is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and he asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher, Jesus said, and, and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Now, don't get too concerned. We're not going to do any feet washing in here, okay? Um, I don't really like my own feet, and I don't want anyone else's feet to be around me, okay? So that won't happen. Just, just wanted to calm your nerves if you were a little bit nervous. I've given you, listen to verse 15. Jesus says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Let me just kind of shape the context for you and, and, and kind of catch you up to speed of what's happening here in John 13. 
John 13 actually begins what is often referred to in Scripture as the, the upper room discourse. Uh, the upper room is where Jesus would meet with his disciples just prior to his arrest, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. It's where they would share in the Last Supper together. It's where they would come. Uh, very likely, it's the location where, where the disciples and 120 people gathered uh, after Jesus' resurrection and uh, after his ascension. Uh, they would gather in Acts chapter 1. It says uh, that 120 were gathering, they were praying, they were waiting for the promise of the Father. That likely was the location of the upper room. So chapter 13 of John begins this, this discourse, or really just this teaching of Jesus that will last from John 13 through John 17. It's a, a rather lengthy passage where Jesus... Uh, is going to do quite a bit of teaching. If you, if you have a Bible that, that has the red letters where, where Jesus is actually doing the talking, um, you will see that he does quite a bit of teaching in John 13 through John 17. It is actually his longest discourse and probably one of the most meaningful teachings of Jesus to us still today. We know that Jesus' public ministry, when we get to John chapter 13, his public ministry has now come to an end. He has been rejected, he has been ridiculed, he has been pushed away by, by, by Jews, by Pharisees, by Sadducees. So his public ministry has come to an end. He is now gathering together in the upper room, someplace in Jerusalem, where he is meeting with his disciples and he's going to teach them in John 13 through 17. It's in the upper room that Jesus talks about here in, in John 13. He will talk about the love that he has for his very own. He will describe in John 13 through 17 the type of relationship that, that, that Jesus has with his own. He will even describe the provision that he has made available to them. In, in John 14, 15, 16, he talks about uh, the giving of the Holy Spirit and, and that he's given us a comforter, one, one who would be with us and that would encourage us, that would be our advocate. And so he describes in John 13 through 17 in this upper room discourse the provision that Jesus has made available for his children, for us, for all of humanity. Jesus is just hours here in John 13, just hours away from his arrest, from his trial, from his crucifixion, and from his death. Passover celebration is upon them. And Jesus has chosen to celebrate this meal with his disciples, with those that were, were close to him, those that spent three years um, following Jesus when he, when he healed the sick, when he fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish, and when he fed the 4,000, um, and, and when he uh, set people free from demon possession, the, those that were closest to Jesus, his disciples, Peter and, and James and John, even Judas Iscariot, who would betray Jesus, they would gather together with him in the upper room, where they would hear this teaching and share together in this meal. Now, what I find very interesting, actually, in John 13 is that, and, and, and what we will talk about here in just a minute, is that present in the upper room was Judas Iscariot, who had already, as the text said in John 13, Judas had already been prompted by Satan to hand Jesus over to be crucified. And just kind of as a side note this morning, what's very interesting to me is that Jesus, the master, the son of God, who washes the disciples' feet, what, what is even more intriguing to me is that on that particular day, not only does he wash Peter's feet and James's feet and, and, and uh, Bartholomew's feet, but what is, whose feet does Jesus wash? He washes Judas's feet. 
The very one that in just a few minutes or a few hours is going to hand Jesus over to be uh, arrested, put on trial, and crucified. Jesus, the Master, the Son of God, he gets down on his hands and feet. He begins to wash the feet of the very one that would betray him. So many implications there. So powerful uh, to see not only that Jesus is washing the feet of his servants, but he's washing the feet of his enemy, the one that would hand him over to be crucified. Just hours before his own death, Jesus did the unthinkable. I want to read it again in John 13, not the whole text, just three verses. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Listen, this is what Jesus did. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, took a towel, tied it around his waist, poured water into the water basin. And one by one, he began to wash the feet of his disciples with the towel that had been wrapped around him. The Master, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the perfect one, picked up a towel and he washed the feet of his servants. One writer said this, Richard Foster, the risen Christ beckons us to the ministry of the towel. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Picking up the towel. What does that mean? What does that look like? What are the implications for us today? Let me begin. Number one, one who picks up the towel is not consumed with fleshly aspirations of greatness. That's hard to say. Fleshly aspirations of greatness. One who picks up the towel to serve is not consumed with fleshly aspirations of greatness. Let me, let me explain. While traveling from Bethany, city of Bethany, and prior to Jesus and his disciples' arrival into the city of Jerusalem, um, earlier on in the text, we get the picture of, of Jesus' disciples who have now spent quite a bit of time with him. They've witnessed the miracles that Jesus has done, and while they're traveling from Bethany to Jesus, they actually end up in this heated debate, in this argument. And guess what they're arguing about? They're arguing about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. So, so Peter and James, they're going at it. And John and Bartholomew and Judas, all of these guys who, who have witnessed Jesus do incredible miracles. They've, they've spent three years listening to his teaching. And, and they're on their way to Jerusalem. They've left Bethany. And while they're traveling all, along the road, the point of discussion is who's going to be the greatest. Am I going to be before Peter? Am I going to be before John? And, and, and they're arguing about who's going to have the highest position or highest status. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? Luke chapter 9, verse 46 says, Then the disciples, his disciples, they began arguing about which of them was the greatest. And maybe we've done this before. I think as human beings, we have a tendency, and maybe uh, whether it's in the, the sports arena or, or in the work arena, we, we maybe have a tendency to start, maybe it's even a conversation we have with ourselves, asking, okay, am I greater than that person? Am I better than am, am I? Do I do this better than this person? And so the disciples, they're arguing back and forth. Mark 10, verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over. They spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want, to, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? Jesus asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. So the disciples, their concern was not the, the ministry and the mission of Jesus. Their concern was who's going to have the greatest spot of honor 
Who's going to sit on Jesus' right hand and on Jesus' left hand? And James and John here are pretty much throwing out the other ten disciples. We want, to be, we want to be the greatest ones. We want to sit on your right and on your left. Who cares about Peter? Who cares about Bartholomew? Who cares about, who cares about these other guys? They want to have the place of honor. With the look of Calvary already, and once you keep in mind, when Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem, uh, some, some translations or some texts say that he, is, he has set his face toward Jerusalem. What happens in Jerusalem? That's where he goes to the cross. That's where he will be put on trial. That's where he will die. That's where he will be raised. And so now they're headed towards Jerusalem. Jesus already has the look of Calvary, the cross, on his face. And those that had spent three years with Jesus, they were allowing the spirit of the flesh to consume their thoughts. The disciples, they were, they were jockeying among one another for position and power. Their concern was not, was not the cross. Their concern was not the implications of the cross. Their only concern, when Jesus' concern is, is what's going to happen at Calvary, the, the concern of the disciples was who is going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. This was certainly not the way of one who picks up the towel, the one who serves in their arguments, Jesus boldly reminded them that greatness was only achieved, how? By taking the position of a slave or a servant. Look at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 says, When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. I think I would be too. If, if guys that I've been traveling around with for three years all of a sudden kind of push me to the curb and, and they pull Jesus aside kind of secretly and say, Hey, Jesus, you know, Who's going to be on your right? We want to be on your right. And you're like, can you grant us a favor? Who cares about these guys? I would be a little bit indignant too. They kind of threw me to the curb and threw me under the bus. So Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader, Jesus says, among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, I don't know a lot about chickens and chicken coops. Uh, from what I've read, um, in the chicken pen, there is really no peace in that chicken pen until there is a pecking order. Uh, until somebody or someone or something uh, establishes who's going to have control. Who's, who's going to be the leader? Who's going to be the greatest? And this was kind of the concern of the disciples. They were trying to jockey for position, for power, trying to establish a pecking order. Who, who's going to be the greatest and who's going to be the least? The way of the servant was the way of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He gave up his divine privileges. Jesus took the, the position of what? A humble servant or a humble slave. The master took the form of a slave, and he, what did he do? He served his servants. I want you to hear this. Greatness isn't achieved through climbing the hierarchical ladder. Instead, it's found when we see service as a way of living. I want you to hear that again this morning, because I think all of us in this room, I think whether it's in, in the work field, whether it's in our home, whether it's in our relationships, there, there is, I think, this innate desire for greatness. There is this, this desire for, for leadership or for position and power, and that's not always wrong, but, but I want you to hear how greatness is achieved. It's not achieved through climbing the ladder of success. Instead, it is found 
when we see service, serving our brothers and sisters, serving uh, our servants, or serving even our enemies, when we see service as a way of living, that's when greatness is achieved. Of all the classical spiritual disciplines, service is really the most conducive to the, to the growth of humility. A deep change occurs in our spirits. Um, when we start to serve one another, when we serve uh, the least of these, it creates in us this humble spirit about us. So then we have to do this self-check. I think we should all do this. I think we should do this often. Do I crave power and position? Or is my heart simply to serve others? If we want to know if, if the fleshly aspirations of greatness are consuming our thoughts, our hearts, and our minds, we have to do a self-check. We have to ask ourselves this question. Do I crave power and position? Or is my heart just simply to serve others? Because Christ has called me to serve. Number two, one who picks up the towel is not too good for even menial tasks. Let me, let me explain. Foot washing, told you we're not going to do it this morning, but Washing was a common practice in Jesus' days. Uh, Jesus' day. Uh, I mean, think about it for a second. There were dirt roads. People were wearing sandals. Um, they were had feet that had sweat and nasty stuff all over them. Uh, imagine the results of uh, walking around in either sandals or no sandals at all on dirt roads in very hot temperatures. You can imagine feet were pretty smelly and dirty. Uh, that's just the reality. So, so foot washing became a common practice when somebody would enter somebody's home. Now today, uh, we walk around most often in shoes. And so usually, maybe we, we may walk into somebody's home. What do we often do? Usually, we might take our shoes off. Uh, because our shoes may have mud on them or, or dirt on them. But, but in, in Jesus' day, foot washing was a common practice because people were walking around. Their feet were dirty and they needed washed. It was common courtesy to have, in, in Jesus' time, a servant to wash them when they entered the room. So if you were to enter into somebody's house, uh, it, it was a common practice for one of the servants of that home to come and to wash their feet before they even entered the home the rest of the way. The practice of foot washing, which has a long Old Testament tradition, usually was performed by slaves. And, and, and foot washing was often viewed, I want you to hear this, it was often viewed as a demeaning and lowly task. What's interesting is that foot washing was considered so menial, so, so demeaning, that, that even the Jewish servant wasn't given the task of washing somebody's feet. They, they would oftentimes leave the task of washing your feet to the, to the servant of a Gentile, uh, a Gentile servant. And, and so it was even so menial, so lowly, that even the Jewish shirt servant wasn't allowed or wasn't asked to wash the feet of those that were coming in. Yet, Jesus, perfect Son of God, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Master. He's sitting around this dinner table with his 12 disciples, his servants. He performs this menial and demeaning task, a task that was relegated to a Gentile servant. What does Jesus do? He gets up from the table, grabs a towel, puts it around his waist, he pours water into the water basin, and he gets down. The Master gets down and begins to wash his servants' feet. He was the guest of honor, a well-known figure who had the ability, Jesus had the ability to gather crowds like none other. I mean, remember he fed, he fed 5,000 men plus women 
and children, probably 12,000 people gathered together that day. He fed them. He, he, had, he had the ability to gather crowds like none of them. No one washed his feet when he entered the home. Not even his disciples. They, they knew their feet needed wash. But instead, what did, the, what did the disciples do? They bickered about who would be the greatest. Their concern was about being great. They weren't interested in being the least. No task should be beyond our scope of service. And this is the picture that we get from Jesus. Even a menial, lowly, demeaning task, such as washing someone's feet. By Jesus getting up and washing the feet of his, his servants that day, he said, there's nothing out of my scope of service. It doesn't matter if it's washing somebody's feet. It doesn't matter if it's showing hospitality uh, to an enemy. Whatever it may be, I am called to serve. And so once again, we have to do a self-check. Am I willing to perform the lowest, menial, and most insignificant task, even, listen, even if it doesn't move me up the ladder success. It's a question that we as human beings, we have to ask ourselves. Am I willing to serve even if it means that I'm not going to be noticed? Am I willing to serve even if it means I'm not going to get a pat on the shoulder or a pat on the back? Because if we have a heart that's willing to serve, it doesn't matter what the task is. It doesn't matter how low or menial it may be. We are to follow the example of Christ. And that may mean doing something that, that no one else sees or even notices or even knows about. We are called to be servants. The greatest are those who are least. Acts chapter 9, verse 39. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him uh, the coats and other clothes that, that Dorcas had made for them. I, I read that text, just text to show you that there was one. Dorcas uh, doesn't really get, get the limelight in Scripture, but, but Dorcas is one who actually uh, makes these clothes and, um, and, and other clothes for those that were coming in to the room. Service banishes us to the mundane, the ordinary, and the trivial. Number three, one who picks up the towel seeks to follow the example of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to make a lot of comments here other than read what Jesus says in John chapter 13. Listen to what he's after washing their feet. He put on his robe again and he sat down and he asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, Jesus said, You ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you, I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. I don't think I have to, to comment on this, on this section too much. Jesus is very clear. One who picks up the towel, one who serves, one who has a heart, a, a, a humble heart, is one who seeks to follow the example of Jesus. Jesus, he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't try to make it um, some, some difficult clue that they had to figure out. He just said, follow my example. Do as I have done for them. I, one who was the master, I got down on my hands and feet, and I served the lowliest among me. One who picks up a towel seeks to follow the example of Jesus. Again, we have to do a self-check. Am I following the example of Christ? I can't answer that for you. It's not my job, not my role. It's a question that we all have to ask ourselves. Am I following the example of Christ? Number four, just two more, and I'm almost done this morning. One who picks up a towel has the vision to notice the unserved and those who go unnoticed. I want you to see this. Look in Luke chapter 9, 
verse 46 through 48. Then his disciples, here again, what are they doing? They're arguing about which of them is going to be the greatest. But Jesus, he knew their thoughts. So what did he do? He brought a, a little child to his side. And then he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. So what, what was Jesus doing here? The disciples, they were so consumed with being concerned about the greatest that the unserved and the unnoticed would have been missed. Now, I want you to keep in mind, a child in this day would not have had status, position, or power. A child would have gone unnoticed. A child would not have been very significant in this particular day and age. And so, so what Jesus is doing, he's saying, okay, I'm going to take this child who oftentimes will go unnoticed, and I'm going to bring him into the midst. And Jesus said, whoever welcomes this child, the one who goes unnoticed, the one who goes unserved, welcomes me. He invites the child into their circle. Children were viewed as property and insignificant, and, and children would have gone unnoticed and unserved. Yet Jesus said very clearly, if you serve or you welcome this little child in my name, if you show them hospitality, if you show them compassion, then Jesus said, you welcome me. Those that were unserved and unnoticed all of a sudden are noticed and are being served. So we have to self-check. Who in our circle of influence? Who do we know? Uh, who do we come in contact with every day? Work, home, store. Maybe somebody that goes unnoticed or unserved. Maybe Christ is calling us to pick up the towel and to serve them with humility. Finally, number five. And I think this is probably the most important one that I can mention this morning. One who picks up the towel is making an eternal difference. I want you to hear that. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you go noticed or not when you serve. Doesn't matter what accolades you receive here on earth when you when you serve. I mean, it's it's great when you get the pat on the back. It's great when you get uh, a note of thanksgiving. It's great when people honor you and recognize you. And and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that should happen. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But but it's not about receiving accolades and, and praise here on earth. It's about making an indif a difference for eternity. And I will tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, those who serve, those who pick up the towel and do it with humility, with a heart that is desiring to follow the example of Jesus Christ, I can say confidently this morning that when you serve, and it doesn't matter what task that may be, it might just be giving somebody a word of encouragement. It might be giving somebody a ride. It might be um, bringing food to it. Whatever it may be, whatever that service may be, whether it's something small or something big, whether it goes unnoticed or whether it's noticed, when you serve with a heart that longs to serve Christ and to follow His example, folks, you are making an eternal difference for the kingdom of God. And I can't stress that enough because... Folks, there are a lot of people sometimes, and I, I will tell you, there are some folks that are probably sitting here today or sitting in a church somewhere today because somebody served them with humility. And, and, and because of that, the kingdom of God has been expanded because somebody else was willing to show hospitality. 
Because somebody else was willing to, to show compassion. Because somebody else was willing to notice somebody that, that often went unnoticed. And folks, that makes a difference for the kingdom of God. And how many here want to see the kingdom of God grow? Amen? And so when we serve, when we serve with hearts that desire to follow the example of Jesus, you, us, the church, is making an eternal difference. That's what it's about. It's not about saying, wow, look, look how good you've done and look at what you accomplished or thank you for that. It's not about that here. Again, nothing wrong with that, but it's about making a difference for the kingdom of God. In his book, Leading Across Culture, James Hoodleman, however you say his name, <laughs> reflects on an experience, I want you to hear this, that taught him the eternal value of service and working hard even at what others might call menial jobs. During his high school days, Plutelman worked at a Christian camp under the direction of an outstanding leader named Haram Johnson. One day, Plutelman writes, we worked until dark trying to finish a staff house before the camp season started. My shirt was soaked with sweat. My hands blistered from shoveling sand around the foundation. I was beginning to feel sorry for myself when Haram Johnson strode around the corner of the building. He watched what we were doing for a while and then quickly or quietly reminded us that the staff who were moving into this house would be a big help to the camp. Then he said something that I will never forget. Your shoveling will in the long run be used of the Lord to bring a lot of campers to Jesus. We started shoveling with a renewed sense of purpose. Now we were not just a bunch of dirty, sweaty high school kids tired of shoveling mud. We were, listen, instruments of God Almighty to bring people to Himself. What a lesson in leadership. Our view of the task is shifted from shoveling sand listen, to building the kingdom of God. There is no task that is insignificant when it comes to serving in the kingdom of God. Whether it's shaking a hand, saying hello to somebody, leading worship, serving in the community, it doesn't matter what the task is, but when we do it to follow the example of Christ, when we serve with a humble heart, folks, we are making a difference for the kingdom of God. If we, if we are shoveling dirt to prepare for campers to come uh, into a location, when you set up on Sunday morning, all of you that are a part of the setup team or the teardown team, when you come into this room at 8.30 in the morning, when you stay till 12.30 or later, if I go longer, uh, whatever the case may be, when you stay to tear down chairs, set up chairs, whatever it may be, it's not a menial task that's insignificant. You are preparing the house of the Lord for people to come here and experience the presence of Christ. And so that's what it's about. It's not about whether or not I get accolades or praise from somebody else or, or walking around. Well, no one noticed me. Or, man, I didn't get a, a note this week. Or this person didn't tell me thank you. Well, I, I'm sad that didn't happen, but that's not what it's about. It's about making a difference for the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what the task is. We are called to make an eternal difference. There's some missionaries that we um, support that have been around for a very long time. Glad Tidings, Jim and Linda Schultz. I think some of you, I know some of you know, know them. They're missionaries in Alaska. Um, I, I believe one of their tasks, and, and we've had teams probably two or three times over the last couple of decades uh, that have gone to serve with Jim and Linda in Alaska. One of the things they do uh, in Alaska is they actually prepare camps uh, out in the middle of nowhere 
and you don't just drive a car up to these camps. Um, you fly several different planes, big planes, small planes, boats, I think a lot of different modes of transportation to actually get to the camp area. And one of the things they do um, is they, they set up the tent, they set up the camp, they set up a sound system, they do everything to prepare them for the campers that are going to come underneath that tent to hear the presentation of the gospel. It doesn't matter if it's the person preaching or the person that gets there and brings the equipment. Every role, every task, every service is a important because somebody's heart and life will be changed as a result. We serve in order to make a difference for the kingdom of God. When we pick up the towel, no matter how small, no matter how insignificant the task may seem to be, every time that we pick up the towel, every time we step up from the dinner table, we get down on our hands and our feet, we pour water into a water basin and we serve even the lowliest person Every single time that we serve, every single time we pick up the towel, we are building the kingdom of God. So I'm here to tell you this morning, I am thankful, number one, for all of you in this room. Every, every time that you serve, those of you that, that corralled 23, 24 kids yesterday, thank you. Thank you for those that stand at that door and say hello to someone when you come in. Thank you for those that set up. Thank you for those uh, that serve in whatever capacity. For those that are serving not just a part of this church. I'm not just saying um, the only place you can serve is, is here at Glad Tidings Church. Some of you serve in various capacities in our community or other places or, or with your school or with your children. Whatever that may be. Thank you because every time you serve with a humble heart, with a desire to follow the example of Jesus Christ, you are making an eternal difference. And that's what it's about. Let's be a church that seeks to follow the example of Christ. And let's be servants for the sake of the kingdom. Would you stand with me this morning? Just close your eyes for just a moment. I'm just going to end in worship together today. But before we do that, this is a message that um, has many different applications. I didn't preach this message to then stand up here and say, okay, we have 20 volunteer spots we need filled. That's not, not the point. We'd love for you to serve. Uh, but that was not the point of today's message. This morning we talked about service because I think sometimes we feel as if if my venue of service goes unnoticed you, we start to ask ourselves the question am I really making a difference for the kingdom of God I'm here to tell you if you are serving with a humble heart if you are serving with the desire to follow the example of Jesus it's an absolute confident yes you are making a difference for the kingdom you may never see the results of your service. You may set up and tear down every single week, and you may never get a glimpse of what difference that is making, but I can tell you today with 100% assurance and confidence that every time you do that, the kingdom of God is impacted in mighty ways. Every time that you give to a missionary I think sometimes we feel, well, I, I, I can't go, I'm going to give, but is that really making a difference? It absolutely is. Every time that you give or support a missionary or pray for a missionary, there are things happening in the heavenlies that we 
can't even fully understand or know. God is orchestrating relationships, connections, resources for, for those that are serving in places that have no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So every time that you pray, every time that you send somebody through, through your giving, or, or every time that you give and you provide resources, you are making a difference for the kingdom of God. So we're going to close here in just a second with this song, The Stand. I think it may be, some of us may know this song. But as we close in worship, what I want you to do, and, and again, because this message has so many different applications, there's not, there's not just one response. I, I want to ask all of us to, to consider and to pray, God, how, how can I be a better servant of Jesus Christ? How can I better follow your example? What, what does that mean for me? What does that look like for my family? What are you calling me to do? It may not mean that you change a lot. It may just mean that you continue to do what God has already called you to do and you're doing it faithfully and obediently. But God desires that we follow his example, the example of Christ, who is willing to do even the lowliest menial task because he knew that it would make a difference God. So I want to ask you guys to pray about it and consider and every time that you